to another Cup of Joe podcast on this Thursday, April the 14th, and wherever you are, whenever you are listening to this, I wish you God's grace, especially today as we enter into the sacred tree to him, my friends. So a blessed Holy Thursday to you. And um, Holy Thursday, now I could be doing any number of readings today, and I don't know exactly when you as listener will be listening to this. It may be during the day, and we've not yet entered the sacred triduum, maybe uh, during the evening, it may be on Good Friday, maybe on the weekend. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the readings, the gospel, actually, particularly, um, for this evening's liturgy, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, okay? And so, as you know, my friends, Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, right? And it concludes at sundown tonight on Holy Thursday. So our Lenten journey is finished. And so now we begin the shortest season within our church year, but the holiest of seasons. It's called the Triduum, T-R-I-D-U-U-M. That's Latin. You never need to learn to say that word in your life if you don't want to. But effectively, it means the three days, the triduum, the the three days. Um, And it goes from uh, sundown on Holy Thursday to sundown on Easter Sunday. So you might think, Joe, that's, that's, you know, three days. Can the church not count? That's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's four days. Day one is sundown Thursday to sundown Friday. And that day includes the Mass of the Lord's Supper, so the the Last Supper. We'll get John's rendition today, as well as the Passion and Death of Christ. Day two goes sundown Good Friday to sundown on Holy Saturday. So that is the day of dormition. That is the day of waiting. That is the day of the middle space between the death and the new life. Brothers and sisters, that can be a day as it is this weekend when we celebrate it, it can be 20 years in our life between a death and a new life. But it's real. Holy Saturday is so real. But that is that day. And then the last day, of course, is sundown on Holy Saturday until sundown on Easter Sunday. It's why we don't have any masses on Holy Saturday until sundown. Uh, because that's when the sacred tree to him begins, or excuse me, that's when the Easter vigil begins. And if you've never been to an Easter vigil mass, oh my gosh, it is the most beautiful mass, the most beautiful liturgy of the whole year. Now I say it's the liturgy. The truth is, and I'm saying more than you need to, I haven't even gotten to the gospel yet, for goodness sakes, the three liturgies, the mass of the Lord's Supper, which we do on after sundown on Holy Thursday, the Good Friday service, it's not a Mass on Good Friday, it's just a service um, uh, on Good Friday. And then the Easter Vigil liturgy on Holy Saturday evening. Those three services are all one liturgy, one liturgy. If you go to all three of them, don't take my word for it, even though I know I'm right on this one. Don't take my word. There will be no concluding blessing or song uh, Thursday night. 
There is no opening prayer on Good Friday. There is no concluding prayer on Good Friday. There is no opening prayer on Holy Saturday. The liturgy begins Sundown Holy Thursday, and it ends with the uh, lifting up that A word that we can't say right now, <laughs> but can in like three days uh, in song uh, at the end of that liturgy. So it's so good. It's so good. All right, that's way more than you want to know, but it's, it's just so you know, even though you may be listening to this Thursday during the day, you are going to be hearing the gospel for tonight, okay? Uh, the Mass of the Lord's Supper. So there we go. Five minutes of preamble before we even get to the gospel. What's our gospel? It's a good one. You know it. Uh, we skipped over it the other day, didn't we? We've been going through John, and we skipped beyond it. Um, but we're going to go back to it. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 15. Okay? And I'm going to read it out of Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. So let's break open God's Word. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, You're not going to wash my feet, ever. Jesus said, If I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, not only my feet then, wash my hands, wash my head. Jesus said, If you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now, and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. He knew who was betraying him. That's why he said, not every one of you. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. Then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, wash your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you must do. My friends, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's lay the scene. We know that the twelve are all around the table, and we know Judas is there too. Even though the gospel said that, that uh, Satan had already entered into Judas, that he was firmly already uh, having set the betrayal, uh, we know that Judas is there because of the gospel we, we read two days ago, right? 
where Jesus then, after he does this, if we'd have kept reading, that's when it says, and Jesus was distressed, distressed. And he said, one of you will betray me. And Peter looks over at the disciple whom Jesus loved and says, hey, find out who it is. And the one whom I dip in and give the morsel of bread. And he gives it to Judas. Why, why, why is that important? Well, I guess I'd say this. Remember what we talked about last night? God and God's great goodness and God's great grace. Again, beyond my imagination the measure loves us and gives us that great gift of free will, even when he knows we are going to use it for, for uh, ill-gotten gains, when we are going to use it for uh, our own ambition, and we are going to use it making poor decisions. He knew what Judas was going to do. He knew that. It, it insinuates it here in the gospel. We're going to get it more clearly if we keep reading, but he knew it. Did it stop him from washing the feet of Judas? Up until the end, right until the end. As last night's gospel indicated, you know, when he says, listen, you said it, not me. You have the power to unsay it, but it's your words. You're not, you're not in any box. I didn't paint you in a corner. Here, he even washes his feet, just hoping against hope that his example might pull Judas into somewhere new. Not because he was saying, oh, I hope I get out of this, you know, death that's going to happen because of it, but because Judas's very being, his very spirit and soul and, and life was in jeopardy. Brothers and sisters, our God makes the sun to shine on the good and the bad, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Again, if we were going to play God, like Judas tried to, like we talked about yesterday, I might not make that rain fall on the, the unjust. I might not make the sun to shine on the bad. Just the good and just the just, but not God. God washes the feet and loves even the unjust and those who are quote-unquote bad, whoever those are. Because really, I don't think it's a, a question of who's wearing the right hat who's wearing the, the wrong one, who's on the right side of the line, who's on the wrong. Remember, every one of us are filled with wheat and weeds, and he loves all of us. He loves all of us, even those parts of ourselves that you and I do not love. Now, I've said many times, my friends, ad nauseum probably, right? God love you, um, that this is not a Passover feast for John. Uh, it is, if we were reading Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel, because Jesus takes the unleavened bread. It's the feast of unleavened bread, right? There's another word for it. We got that, was it yesterday or two days ago? Um, and why is that unleavened? Why, what are we talking about here? Well, let's just go back a little bit of history. Uh, the original Passover was the Passover of the angel of death in Egypt. So while all the Hebrew people were in Egypt and Moses was jousting with Pharaoh to try to let my people go, he, he, that's, he keeps going back there and saying, let my people go. And all the, the subsequent things that happen, right? The signs, the, the 10 signs, you know, whether it's the frogs coming out of the Nile or the Nile turning to, to blood red or, you know, all the, the insects coming on uh, to, to, the, the, to Egypt. All these things, you know. Um, well, the last one, of course, 
was the angel of death came over and would smite the firstborn of every Egyptian family, from the pharaoh down to the poorest of the poor, and even of their livestock. The firstborn would be smitten. And the way that the angel of death would know the difference uh, between who was of Hebrew lineage and who was not was you would t- you were to take and and don't trust me you know go back to Exodus, take a branch of hyssop, a local locally grown grown, not brewed locally grown <laughs> branch there, and dip it in the blood of the lamb like they were to take a lamb take it into their home for like three or four days they were to kill it on that day, they were to roast it. They were to take the blood and put it on the lintel of their doors. So that way the angel of death would know to pass over that home, that it was a Hebrew family there, and the firstborn would live. And, uh, and they were to gird themselves as for a journey. And so they were to eat the lamb, not break any of its bones. I mean, again, this is all Exodus. Eat the lamb, uh, but don't even take time to leaven your bread. What does leaven do? Put yeast in it. Don't take time to, to put yeast in it because that would take time to rise. We don't have time for that. It's unleavened. No yeast in this bread. And, uh, and you are to eat this meal, this bread that has not been raised. It's basically flatbread. Think pita bread. Um, and uh, eat these, these bitter herbs and, and eat the lamb and, uh, and prepare for a journey. Because in the morning, when Pharaoh sees all this, that's the time to go. And you're going to go. That's the Feast of Passover. And then, of course, they go to the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, as it were, um, and, uh, and cross over and eventually spend 40 years in, in the desert on the other side uh, after going to Sinai. Um, okay, why is that important? Because that's the feast that Jesus is celebrating, brothers and sisters, with the disciples in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He takes that unleavened bread from that feast, takes it, blesses it. I mean, this is, this is Eucharistic theology because it happens at every Mass. It's the best thing in the world. You receive it, you bless it, you break it, and you share it. Isn't that what we do at Mass? We receive it, the gifts come forward, it's blessed uh, during the consecration, not just by the priest, brothers and sisters, by all of us. It's the reason we do it in the vernacular. It is not just the action of the priest. It's the action of the priest in union with the people. And, uh, and we bless that bread uh, through the Holy Spirit, through the workings of the priest, in conjunction with the people around it. Um, bless it. It is broken, right? And, and you can even look when the, when the priest holds it up and says, Behold the Lamb of God. You know, right before, it's always broken, and a piece of it is always gone. Because even Jesus, after he's been broken and put back together, if I can use those words, sounds Humpty Dumpty-ish, um, at, uh, after resurrection, he still carries his scars. And so even the host, uh, even though broken and come back, come back together as one, still carries the scars of that brokenness. And then it is shared with all of us. And that's what Jesus does. And then he does it with the, the uh, cup, too. Um, and, uh, and that's poured out and shared. And Jesus says, you know, this is my body given for you. It is broken for you and to be shared with all of you. This is my blood poured out, you know, for the forgiveness of sins. Continue to do this. This is not the Passover meal with John. 
John, it's not that, now you may be thinking, well, Joe, does John not believe in, in Eucharist? No, no, John is firmly Eucharistic theology. In fact, I would even argue John is the most Eucharistic of all the Gospels. He just doesn't put it at the Last Supper. He puts it in, in chapter 6 of his Gospel. Go back and read chapter 6 sometime. You cannot get through chapter 6 without Eucharist here, Eucharist there, Eucharist there. You know, it's the, the point, and so it's after Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then he talks about how his, his body is real food, his blood is real drink. You know, and unless you eat the, the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. That's all John. That's all Eucharistic theology. That's all chapter 6. And it is so driven home. I mean, Jesus doesn't just say it once. He says it like five times. Says it so much that people start leaving and say, this makes no sense to me. And that's when he looks at the disciples and says, you're going to leave too? He doesn't say, hey, you guys, I'm just speaking, you know, I'm, I'm just speaking hypothetically here. I'm just, you know, speaking in terms of images and stuff. He, he, he doesn't beg them to stay. He looks at them and says, are you going to leave too? And this is Peter's great proclamation of faith in John's gospel. He never does the Lord, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He does that in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John's gospel, this is Peter's great uh, recognition. He says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's where John's Eucharistic theology is. But here's the brilliance of John again. Brilliance, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. What does he focus on here? Um, at, at the Last Supper, he focuses on um, what Eucharistic theology, where, where it points, where it points. Listen, Eucharist is a gift. We praise the, and thanks to, to God. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't live out whatever our God is inviting us to without the assistance and aid of God in the form of the Holy Spirit and in the, the reality of the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ that we literally feed on uh, so that we, brothers and sisters, may become the body and blood of Christ. It's not just to be adored. Huh. Let me say this. Let me say this as clearly as I can. The Eucharist is only secondarily to be adored. First and foremost, it is about transformation, not adoration. Let me say that again. The Eucharist, first and foremost, is about transformation. Only secondarily is it about adoration. If that shakes you up, sit with that for a while. And I'm okay, because I will go to my grave with that debate. Brothers and sisters, we are called not just to adore and worship our living God. We are called to be that through the assistance of God, to be the body of Christ. And I cannot carry all of that in myself, nor can you, but we as a body can together. And what does that look like? It looks like John's gospel tonight. It looks like taking off our outer robe, our outer uh, walls, our outer veils, our outer masks, our outer, you know, pride or ego or arrogance or whatever it is that we wear. Take it off, set it aside, and go to the lowest place and wash the feet whether that's literally or figuratively, of those around us. What are the needs of the poor? What are the needs of the, and I don't mean just the, the, the financially poor, what are the needs of those around us?
How do we love them? What do I have to take off today to serve them? Because that's where Eucharist points. Our body broken, our agendas broken, our, our control broken, our, our plans broken. I mean, only if and when they serve God. Broken in order that another may have life. That's Eucharist, brothers and sisters. That's central to, to who, what the church is. It, 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 hey, listen, it is. If, if, if this is shaking you up, I, I hope it's not. I hope you're like, it's just affirming what you know Eucharist to be. But brothers and sisters, we are that body. We take it in so we can live this out. So we can, yeah, I mean, and, and don't take my word for it. Jesus says, hey, you call me master and Lord, and, and, and that's right. He said, now, if I, your master and Lord, did it to you, so must you do to others. I mean, we know it. It's, it's, it's all right there in front of us. But we don't do it on our own. Praise be to God. Tonight is the great feast of our God being with us in real form, in real body, in real blood. His, his body is real food. His blood is real drink. Why? So we can be broken on behalf of others. So we can be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. What does that do? It brings us in unity with one another. Do not... Con- you know, do not conform. Do not make the mistake of thinking unity and uniformity are the same. They are not. That's not what our God came for. But he did come so that we are one in Christ. What does Galatians say? No longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, woman or man. All are one. All are one in Christ Jesus. And this great feast reminds us of that. That Eucharist, that which is central to who we are as church, it's central to who we are as followers of Christ, that we feed on it in order to be his body in the world. As Augustine said, be what you see, become what you eat. That is the great feast today. May we open ourselves and say yes to it. Um to what our God invites us to through that. Let's pray. So, my friends, we begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The fourth sorrowful mystery, Jesus carries his cross. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My friends, God bless you on this feast, this sacred feast of the Triduum. May we walk with Christ, not only through this Last Supper, but to Golgotha itself, in order that we may walk through and out of the empty tomb this Sunday. God's peace.